Welcome to Bioethics on Air, the program that brings you thoughtful, in-depth commentary on ethics at the crossroads of science, medicine, and daily life. We are a broadcast of the National Catholic Bioethics Center in Philadelphia. Is it permissible to deactivate a pacemaker? What about letting its battery run out? These increasingly relevant questions are addressed by today's guest, Father Benedict Gavin, OSB, a professor of moral theology at St. Anselm College in Manchester, New Hampshire. In this podcast, Father Benedict identifies the ethical considerations of deactivating a pacemaker. He also discusses the question of letting a pacemaker's battery run out and demonstrates the influence of patient autonomy on these decisions. He then addresses implantable cardioverter defibrillators, or ICDs, and demonstrates how the ethical considerations for deactivating an ICD differ from those of a pacemaker. Father Benedict, good afternoon. Good afternoon. Welcome to our podcast today. And I was wondering if we could start uh, by you giving us a little bit of your background, specifically your education and your work. Uh, sure. Uh, well, let's see. I have a, a master's degree in theology with a specialization in moral theology from St. Patrick's Seminary in Menlo Park, California. I have uh, an M. Lit from the University of Paris, uh, Religious Anthropology. I have a, an STD from the Institut Catholique de Paris uh, in the area of moral theology. And I have a PhD from the uh, University of Paris on religious anthropology. Very good. Um, in the interest of full disclosure as well, I should probably mention that uh, Father Benedict was a biblical theology professor of mine at St. Anselm College when I was a, an undergraduate back in the fall of 1986. And he also officiated at my wife's and my wedding. So we need to uh, let our oh, audience know. Years that. ago. It was a while ago. I was wondering if you remember yeah. what my grade was from class. Uh, a B. <laughs> it probably was. Uh, <laughs> why are you interested in this topic of deactivating pacemakers? Well, it came up on two separate occasions. It was two very different uh, people who had pacemakers. And the first case was uh, a man whose mother was in a nursing home with advanced Alzheimer's disease. And the doctors told him that, her, that his mother's pacemaker battery would run out in about three months. And so he asked me if we should just let it run out or just let her die. And I, honest to God, didn't know the answer to it. Uh, the second case was uh, a man came to me whose brother was dying of cancer, and he had a pacemaker as well, and he asked me if we could simply deactivate the pacemaker and let him go in peace. And uh, I didn't know the answer to that either. So I, I let it sit for maybe about a year and uh, thought about it and said, gee, that really ought to be addressed. So I did some research and nobody really in the Catholic world, uh, in the world of Catholic ethics, was even talking about this. On the contrary, though, the, the medical world was doing a lot of research and writing on this topic from an ethical point of view. So there was a, a lacunae in Catholic ethics on, on these various issues. So I decided to fill it. 
Yeah, it's interesting that you say that because a few weeks ago when we first started talking about doing this podcast, um, about a day or two later, I got a consult on the exact same question. So it's it's oh, okay. So it's so yeah, there's it, a lot of interest generated from these articles. I got emails from people all over the country with uh, their stories and um, and in fact, one of them was the the spur for me to write yet more articles on it uh, after I had written the first two. Uh, they always have some little twist to it. I said, gee, I, I didn't address that issue. I apologize, but that gives me an idea for another article. So uh, it was really the people who responded who gave me the idea to continue on with the various other articles I wrote. So it seems as this is this is a somewhat common question or somewhat common issue that people are facing. It is, yes, right. Uh-huh. Yeah, there are a lot of people in this country who have pacemakers. And, uh, you know, what do you do when the person is either dying or has Alzheimer's or some other condition? Uh, do we just keep it going? Do we let the battery run out? Do we deactivate it? Uh, there's a lot of concern and I think a lot of misunderstanding about what happens when the, the uh, pacemaker is deactivated or when you allow the battery to run out. I think people think that you have a nice, peaceful, very quick death, but that generally is not the case. And I think people need to be aware of what to expect if, you know, when they, if they choose to go that route, uh, that it's not going to be what they thought it was going to be. All right. That's a great segue into my next question is, what are the ethical considerations of deactivating a pacemaker? Well, uh, I think, the, the, again, even in the medical world, uh, a lot of doctors, when confronted with this issue, are very reluctant to deactivate. Uh, doctors themselves see this as a kind of uh, form of euthanasia or uh, physician-assisted suicide. And so a lot of doctors are very squeamish about uh, this request for deactiva- deactivation. And um, so, so there's that issue. Then on the other side of the issue, you have doctors who say, well, uh, you know, uh, patients have uh, personal autonomy and they can decide for themselves and uh, we simply have to follow their lead. You have two very different responses to a request for deactivation and, um, you know, very little middle ground. What does the Catholic tradition teach about this, if anything? Uh, Well, I suppose it would fall under the general category of uh, either artificial care, extraordinary care, or ordinary care, under the general grouping. The specific issue, though, of pacemakers is really not addressed in uh, the literature, at least Catholic ethics. So uh, there was a real gap in in somebody writing about this issue from a a Catholic perspective. All right. So let's go into uh, some of the articles that you wrote for the NCBC. Sure. And um, in, in those articles, you discussed how pacemakers can be viewed as either replacement therapy or substitutive therapy. So the question is, how are right. these two views distinct, and what are the moral consequences of this distinction? Uh, well, they, they are distinct, and for some people at least, these have moral uh, implications. So, for example, if you were to view the um, 
pacemaker as a substitute, uh, you would say, well, it's like a, um, uh, it would be like uh, a kidney, for example. So you, rem- uh, no, I'm sorry. Uh, it would be like a, more akin to a ventilator. So where you uh, substitute the the ventilator for the person's lack of ability to breathe on his or her own. Whereas replacement, if you see it as replacement, then it'd be more akin to uh, a kidney transplant where you take out the diseased kidney and, and put in a, a new kidney and uh, then let that work its way through the system. So some people believe that if you view it as a substitute, like a ventilator, then the activation is possible. If, however, you view it as a replacement, like a kidney, then they would say that the activation is not possible because you wouldn't remove a, a, a kidney from someone who has had a kidney transplant unless, of course, that kidney was diseased and you had to go for yet a second transplant. But otherwise, uh, you would not take out a kidney uh, to let the person die. But the, the, the difference, though, is, is more theoretical than, than actual, at least in my mind. Um, and again, the, the distinction is more um, from the point of view of either the patient or the doctor rather than a, a, a fixed category that exists outside of the patient or doctor. So in other words, the doctor may see it as either replacement or substitute, or the patient may see it as replacement or substitute. But there's nothing intrinsic to the uh, pacemaker that really is either replacement or substitute. And so from the point of view of an ethical analysis, however you view the pacemaker, uh, it would be, in my estimation, morally impermissible to either deactivate it or to let the battery run out. Uh, the reason being is that the, the, the cause of death, the proximate cause of death, would be the deactivation or the letting the battery run out. Uh, and so it wouldn't be quite akin to, let's say, a ventilator. Uh, so um, for me, it doesn't matter how a person views the pacemaker. Uh, it's that the pacemaker itself, if deactivated, is the proximate cause of the person's death and therefore could be called um, a form of euthanasia. I was going to ask you about that. If, it, do you, if you view the deactivation, the deliberate deactivation of a pacemaker as an act of euthanasia? Uh, I do, yes. Because that was the conclusion of my you know, study. And I, I'm actually glad. Uh, I want to go back to um, just briefly the replacement therapy versus substitutive therapy because I, I in preparation for this podcast, I, I read the the articles that you wrote two or three times, and I, I wasn't 100% comfortable with with either view of those because you know in terms of or, or responding to the replacement therapy view, um, the pacemaker is not a living organ. And, and so I'm not right. seeing how, you know, how that, you know, how it's replacing an organ. But at the same time, um, in response to the substitution theory view, the pacemaker isn't, for lack of a better term, substituting 100% for the for the organ in question. So it's, I, I can, right. I, I see where that 
difficulty lies. I don't think my questioning of the you know of of those categories really changes the the deactivation equation at all. But it's I I, I can see where those those categories may not be that helpful. Yeah, ultimately they're not that helpful. Uh, they are helpful for some people when trying to decide about the the permissibility of deactivation or not. So it's, a, it's really a kind of a, a theoretical right. position of how you view the matter. And that can change from doctor to doctor or patient to patient. So there's nothing intrinsically uh, intrinsic to the pacemaker that would make it either a substitution or a replacement. It's just a, a way of, of trying to look at this pacemaker in order to make a decision for or against the activation. Um, so you've you're arguing or you've at least come to the tentative conclusion that deactivating a pacemaker is essentially euthanasia by commission speak a little bit more about letting the batteries run out because that's a little bit of a different situation so i i would say that uh deactivation would be more akin to euthanasia by commission whereas letting the battery run out would be more like euthanasia by omission uh, where you, you don't actually do anything. There's, there's nobody behind uh, in a booth somewhere with in front of the deactivation machine uh, ready to deactivate you. It, you just simply allow the battery to run out. And um, whereas in the other case, you have to have a technician actually turn off the, the uh, pacemaker. Mm-hmm. So one is, is at least... On the surface, one is more uh, a commission. You're actually choosing to deactivate, where in the other case, you're you're not you're not doing anything at all. You're just simply letting the battery die. So you could say it's a difference between let's say active active euthanasia versus passive euthanasia, for example. Earlier, uh, earlier on in our interview, you talked about autonomy, and Question for you. Some people will respond to this issue of deactivating a pacemaker or letting the batteries run out from the perspective of autonomy. They'll say, well, I decide what treatments I want and don't want. How do you respond to that? Well, certainly, I think the whole notion of patient autonomy in and of itself is is a good thing. And I think for two reasons. I think, first of all, it is trying to move away from the, the paternalism that, that colored uh, the practice of medicine in, in the past, where the doctor knows best, doctor will decide, and you have to follow along like a willing sheep. <laughs> so there's that issue. And then the other issue is, I think, the recognition in the medical field that uh, persons are endowed with the dignity and that that dignity should be recognized and supported. So certainly patient autonomy is a good. It does recognize those two things, but patient autonomy is, is not an absolute. Some people would make it an absolute. And uh, in fact, there was just a recent uh, article published uh, in the past couple of days, uh, an article written by two doctors who said that Basically, healthcare professionals should not be able to exercise his or her conscience 
Right. Uh, they, they should simply do what the patient wants in the name of patient autonomy. And in that case, the, the doctor really becomes a cipher for the patient, uh, where the patient takes the absolute lead on his or her medical care, and the doctor is there simply to provide whatever the patient wants. And that, that has several problems with it, obviously. The, the, what the patient decides may be, in fact, against the moral law. Uh, it may, medically speaking, not be good for the patient or in the patient's best interest. And so patient autonomy, I think, has to be balanced with uh, the professional input of the, of the, the healthcare professional, who also has an obligation to speak his or her mind regarding what is in the best interest of the patient and not merely act as a cipher to whatever the patient desires. And so the, the, the process then is more dialogical than uh, simply an exer- uh, the expression of personal uh, autonomy without further ado. And uh, so I think people have somehow made autonomy the number one issue in the patient professional relationship when it's, I don't, I wouldn't put it there. It's an important element, but that can't be the sole criterion for choosing or for activating a, a patient's desires. In light of that, can someone make a compelling case that a pacemaker has become burdensome? Well, the, the pacemaker itself is not burdensome. Uh, once the pacemaker is uh, put into the patient, you have no sensation that it's in there. So it's not, for example, like a ventilator, which can be on, on many different levels a burdensome for the patient. Uh, it's, uh, in fact, I, I've dealt with any number of patients who are on a ventilator where that would be their fate. There was no coming off of it. And they, they simply said, I, I, I'm not doing this. It's, it's too painful. It's, I, it's very uncomfortable. I, I, I can't live like this. The people don't say that with a pacemaker. Once it's in, it's in, and you don't even notice it's there. It just does its thing. The only time you are aware of having a pacemaker is when you let the battery run out or when you deactivate it. Right. Then you realize that this is in you, and this had been doing something good for you, but that stops, of course, when you deactivate or let the battery run out. And then you obviously suffer the consequences of that in terms of you know, your heart, etc. So it's not a burdensome treatment at all, uh, and uh, unlike the cardioverted defibrillator, which is a very different issue. Can you tell us, first of all, what is an implantable cardioverter defibrillator or an ICD? What is it and why would one choose to deactivate it or turn it off? Okay, what, what this particular uh, instrument does is it, um, if, if, you, uh, if your heart either slows down or stops, uh, this will act as almost like an external defibrillator where you're paddled so to speak, but but happens inside the body. So the the patient usually experiences a a, a rather big jolt. And uh, that will, in theory at least, either get the heart going again or bring it back into a normal rhythm. So um, 
so the, the patient is very much aware of the workings of the cardioverter defibrillator, especially if there's a heart issue that is at play, then they feel it. Um, so the question of deactivation there is very different from deactivation of a pacemaker because uh, you can be uh, in the dying process and be jolted back, which will prolong the dying process. I read one case where this, this poor fellow was dying, and he was uh, uh, jolted 30 times on the eve of his death because he was actively dying, his heart was slowing down, but the cardioverted defibrillator sensing this kept jolting him back. And that is not a good thing. And so uh, for me, it's a very different situation from, from the pacemaker where you are not even aware that's in you or working. And, um, and the pacemaker is, is really, all that does is ensure that you maintain a, a, a native rhythm of your heart. It doesn't, um, doesn't jolt you, it doesn't do anything, it just maintains a steady rhythm. Whereas the cardioverter defibrillator, in fact, does act as almost like uh, being paddled in, in the emergency room. And so there, I think it would be appropriate uh, to deactivate this cardioverter defibrillator if it is, in fact, will impede her death, uh, at least prolong the dying process by keeping you alive when perhaps you ought to have died. But that's a conversation, though, that a patient should have with the doctor at the time of the implantation. The time to have that conversation is not, you know, in the days before your death. I think doctor and patient should sit down, discuss what this cardioverted defibrillator is for, how it works, what the patient will experience or feel, and then have that discussion about, okay, what happens when you are close to death? Do you want, we can deactivate it or we can keep it going and it will do this to you, it will jolt you back. And that ought to be done really at the time of the implantation, not when you're in the midst of a medical emergency or in hospice care. So, uh, so I think that's a, a, and again, the same thing with the pacemaker. One should have a conversation with the doctor about that as well uh, to clear up any misunderstandings about what the pacemaker does and, and what would happen if, uh, if it uh, were to be deactivated or if you let the battery run out. Most people imagine that you die a simple, quick death, but, but that's simply not the case in, in a lot of the time. Uh, in fact, the two doctors wrote about this, said that what it sets off is a, is a lethal uh, pathology, uh, uh, physiopathology uh, that can uh, affect not only the heart, but the breathing, um, you know, you know, all kinds of other bodily functions, and that death may be uh, either short, immediate, short, or a, a bit longer. So this is not necessarily the easy way out by any means. The same thing with the battery running out. Uh, there was a case of a woman who was feeling uh, deathly ill. She had a pacemaker and uh, she didn't know what was going on. She couldn't, she had lost her breath. She was feeling just 
terrible. So she went to the doctor, and the doctor tested the battery. said, well, your battery ran out. And it had run out six weeks previously. So she'd been living with a non-functioning pacemaker for six weeks. She didn't die. Six weeks, she's still living, but feeling terrible. And so with her permission, the doctor replaced or replaced the batteries and then she felt fine again. So either way you do it, deactivation or letting the battery run out, it's not what people imagine it is. It's not always a quick, easy death. Uh, Whereas if you deactivate the cardioverted defibrillator, death ensues relatively quickly because the purpose of it is to it's a prevent heart failure. And so if, if you deactivate it, then uh, your heart will probably simply do what it does when you're dying. It will simply stop at one point. Whereas the cardioverted defibrillator keeps it going when long before, long after it should have stopped. Ergo, my, my decision that I, I think deactivation there would be permissible. Well, it would be in fact burdensome and Extraordinary, given the overall uh, health uh, situation of the patient with the cardioverter defibrillator. So to clarify, in, in the case of a cardioverter uh, defibrillator, if a patient is actively dying, it would be morally permissible to deactivate it. What if the patient isn't actively dying? Could you still, or could you, could you deactivate the cardioverter defibrillator, or does the same standard apply with that as it would with a pacemaker? Again, I think that's a conversation that the patient and the doctor should have at the very beginning when it's put in. What is the purpose of this? What, what do you hope to gain from this? What risks are there in having this in you? And, and deal, I think, very directly with the, the issue of deactivation if you're not in the dying process. My instinct would be that it would be, uh, in that case, it would be more akin to my conclusions regarding a pacemaker, mm-hmm. where it would not be morally permissible because what you're doing basically is it would be the deactivation of the cardioverted defibrillator that would lead to the heart failure that would cause the person to die. So there it's more like um, euthanasia by commission. Uh, rather than uh, seeing the when the person is actively dying, the removal of a burdensome and uh, treatment that is no longer benefiting the person. All right, so we've discussed the ethics of deactivating or uh, deactivating a pacemaker or a cardioverter defibrillator or letting the batteries run out. But what about the question of not inserting a pacemaker or a cardioverter defibrillator to begin with? And I'm, I'm thinking of a case, I, I can hear this is the next consult that's going to come in. I'm thinking of a patient who has <laughs> severe who has severe dementia um, and is diagnosed with uh, cardiac arrhythmia and is in, mm-hmm. in need, quote unquote, is in need of a pacemaker. And their proxy has to make a decision. Mm. So the question is, is it ethical not to implant a pacemaker? It's a great question, Joe, and I must confess, I, I never occurred to me in writing all of these articles uh, that particular situation. Well, now you've um, got another article to write. Well, now I've got another article to write. Uh, again, any medical treatment uh, has to be, it seems to me, of, of some benefit to the patient. And 
So if, if a patient has like advanced dementia and is, you know, not really cognizant of what's going on and a proxy has to make this decision, or even if the person is cognizant and makes the decision him or herself, the the pacemaker is is neither ordinary nor extraordinary. It, it simply is a device that that tries to restore the the heart rhythm to its native rhythm. So uh, the, we always talk about whether it's ordinary or extraordinary based not on the 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 medical intervention being used so much yeah. as the medical intervention with respect to patient X right. and the whole configuration of that person's life, the person's uh, mental awareness, the person's emotional uh, state, financial state, social state. In other words, all of those things have to be considered when making a decision for or against the initial implantation of the pacemaker. And I, I think that'd be a, a good conversation to have, uh, certainly if the, you're the proxy, to have with the doctor. And, and even better to have had that conversation with the patient before he or she developed dementia. I understand that's not always the case or even possible. And the person might not have presented with a heart issue until after they, the dementia set in. So then it's up to the proxy to, to you know, exercise, a, you know, a best standard judgment regarding what care this patient should get. Uh, so there I would think if the patient him or herself that stated at some point prior to all of this, that he or she would want X, Y, and Z done, then I think you might have an obligation to, to have it implanted. But if the person ever said or intimated that he or she is not for this kind of treatment, uh, especially if they were in a certain condition, Alzheimer's, dementia, et cetera, then I think there we could take the patient's lead, uh, known by the proxy as more or less determinative of whether or not the pacemaker should be implanted. But it's a great question. I, I again, never thought of it, and, and that might, in fact, be my next article on the topic. That's an odd question. Pacemakers are very common, very ordinary. Millions of people have them, and there's no big deal about it. And it really does prolong life significantly. I, I have someone in my community here who's had one for 20, 20 years, and is, from the point of view of the heart, is doing quite well. And he's not aware that he has it. It just simply functions, and he's living and, and very you know, active as much as 89-year-old person can be. And so that's given him a rather significant uh, length of life versus had he not had it put in. Now, again, if, if you are somebody with dementia or and are on an end-of-life trajectory, so to speak, that might be a very different consideration to be brought to bear on the issue. Any final words of wisdom for our audience? Uh, final words of wisdom, always try to get the most information you can in your discussion with your doctor regarding risks, benefits, problems, how you will experience this instrument in you or not, 
and even go to the hard questions about end of life. What happens when? What happens if? Those discussions are very hard to have, even the best of times. Doctors generally don't shy away from those kinds of things because they're in the business of healing. But I think the patient really, in, in, because of his or her own vested interest in his or her own life, I think really ought to uh, make sure that those hard discussions are had with the doctor uh, really at the time of discussing implantations of pacemakers or cardioverter defibrillators. That would be my advice. And have a very strong patient advocate with you who could uh, advocate for you if you are unable to do so for yourself. I think that's one of the best gifts that a person can give him or herself in these situations is to choose someone who is a strong patient advocate, who is not afraid to stand up to doctors or nurses, and who has your best interests at heart according, as much as he or she knows, according to your wishes. Father Benedict, thank you for your time today. My pleasure, Joe. Take care. For more information on this topic and other bioethical issues, visit our website, ncbcenter.org, and subscribe to our publications, Ethics and Medics, and the National Catholic Bioethics Quarterly. I'm your host, Joe Zalot. Thank you for joining us today, and we'll see you next time.